Welcome back to New World Next Week. Representing MediaMonarchy.com, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And representing CorbettReport.com, I am James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. The IRS will be able to cross-reference both our report and yours. We have got that story, plus cyber attacks on supply lines. But first, Kazakhstan declares calm restored Russian troops to leave in days. We grabbed this from antiwar.com and a story you might not have heard about. The unrest in Kazakhstan appears to be ending with the crackdown joined by 2,030 Russian-led CSTO troops. The president of Kazakhstan, Tokayev, who is presenting what happened as a failed coup, says the Russian troops will begin withdrawing in days. This is a particularly important point officials want to make because the U.S. State Department loudly opposed the Russian involvement, warning that the Kazakhs would never get rid of them after the crisis was over. It takes one to know one. The protests started with rising fuel prices and spread from smaller towns to all of the major cities. That's the official story. Some 10,000 people were arrested. 10,000 people were arrested for their roles in the protests and the looting. Tokayev says it is expected that all the foreign troops will be out of Kazakhstan in no more than 10 days, putting an end to the intervention. The U.S. State Department is still demanding Russia, Russia, Russia withdrawal. Some other supplemental links for you. Kazakhstan, Russian-led troops to start leaving in two days. That comes from DW.com as well as TheHill.com. And U.S. News, U.S. welcomes completion of Russian-led mission in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan declares calm restored. I guess no more mass arrests and beheadings, everybody. As I covered on my Monday morning monarchy from the BBC, troops told to fire without warning in Kazakhstan. And from ABC News, that's right, the Disney-owned ABC News from here in the States, dozens of protesters dead, 12 police at least dead in the Kazakhstan protests. One police officer was found beheaded in the unrest, which poses a growing challenge to authoritarian rule in the former Soviet Republic. And then, as I'm prepping this episode, James, hot off the presses from Covert Action Magazine, National Endowment for Democracy, the NED, provided $1.2 million to Kazakhstan last year to help spark color regime against pro-Russian and pro-China regimes. Highly effective and organized violence. Fascist Antifa wish they were this effective at being run by the feds. Pepe Escobar wrote in Strategic Culture about the protesters provoking total anarchy, robbery, looting, hundreds of vehicles destroyed, attacks with assault rifles, ATMs, and even the duty-free at the Almaty airport being completely plundered, end quote. That assessment dovetailed with that of Galium Agilov, human rights act activist on the ground in Almaty who participated in the protests. He described the crowd as, quote, an unruly mob of thugs clearly organized by crime group marauders, end quote. The media, and that's all of it, all to mainstream and nearly all of it, universally nearly failed to report that political organizations in Kazakhstan in 2020, rather, received $3.8 million from who, who you want to guess? No, this isn't about a sort of medical psyop, so it's not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This is about regime change. So that's, of course, George Soros and his Open Society Foundation, which, of course, promotes regime change against all kinds of pro-Russian leaders in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, under the guise of advancing democracy and human rights, and more than 1.2 million from the National Endowment for Democracy, founded in the 80s, of course, by Red Ronnie to carry out functions previously done, you know, by the CIA. 
It's been involved in supporting color revolutions or regime change operations throughout Eastern Europe, Central Asia, directed at pro-Russian leaders like Shevardnadze of Georgia in the 2003 Rose Revolution and Yanukovych, who was ousted in Ukraine in 2014. We've got the link, opensocietyfoundations.org, talking about their work in Kazakhstan. And James, it seems, I guess, the color revolution might be happening there now. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? And for people who don't know about that history, that documented history that you're referring to there, the NGO Trojan Horse of the NED, a.k.a. the CIA by another name, then I would highly suggest they go back into the Corporate Report archives for episode 338 on NGOs are the Deep State's Trojan Horse, Horses, which is a uh, very apropos uh, piece of information to remind ourselves of if people need the background of that. Yes, color revolution, this certainly smells like it in certain ways, but the picture is perhaps slightly more complicated than that. And to get a sense of that, I know that you've just cited a bunch of different things. I myself have been reading a ton about Kazakhstan over the course of the past week. And some of the sources that I found most useful include Corbett Report member Hugo C., who has a substack, yes, x or no, .substack.com, where he has a couple of pieces up. First, uh, Kazakhstan, the price of an insurgency, and then a follow-up from just the other day, Kazakhstan and the CSTO, Putin calmly reads the Riot Act, where he puts in some of the perspective, some of the, the background to this, and says that the picture that has emerged is that three facets were combined to create the coup attempt. The first is a rift between former first president Nazarbayev and his supporters and new president Tokayev. The second element is the political and socioeconomic situation in Kazakhstan, a severe economic and political repression, profits of sale of national resources, uh, of course the LNG price raise, which was the ostensible start of all of this. And then thirdly, the fact that the protests were so rapidly able to be transformed into a violent uprising with quite specific plans for the capture of airports, arsenals, television stations, and government buildings indicates that they were in the country and the plans were already in existence. And I think you've already laid out some of the uh, some of the evidence for that. If people need other sources on that, I'll point them to 21stCenturyWire.com, former Kazakhstan intelligence chief and close friend of Biden's, is arrested for treason, talking about the former intelligence chief, Karim Masimov, who has been detained uh, over the course of the past few days. So there's so much swirling around this story involving the very types of players that anyone who's been keeping their eye on this space would expect, like the NED, like the Open Society Foundation, like the Bidens. Surprise, surprise. Um, one of the more interesting and nuanced perspectives that I've heard about this so far has been from the Geopolitics and Empire podcast, whose host, uh, Rove Moric, actually lived in Kazakhstan for a few years, was technically employed by Nursultan Nazarbayev, the former president at an institute there in Kazakhstan. He was a, a teacher. Um, and he has a, a, a very good podcast breakdown of the various different things that are going on here. It's not so cut and dried. And from the various sources that I've read, actual Kazakhstanis and people who have lived there and people who know what's going on there, there are elements of a number of different things that are taking place here. There were actual, there, there was public uh, consternation about the LNG price rise. It really does affect a lot of people's bottom line. There's a lot of economic and political repression that people are responding to. But those natural demonstrations where suddenly the, the armed masked thugs came in and started turning them violent, as we have seen in many other countries 
color revolution situations over the years. There's a lot of internal politics here. There's the CSTO, an organization who most people probably had never heard of before this past week, which for the first time has been used to restore calm in a country on Russia's borders there. Um, extremely important. And I think this entire story actually goes into the heart of what I am expecting for, if not 2022 specifically, at least the coming years, which is the re, the not the reignition, but at least the, the recognition of the excluded geopolitical mess that the world is devolving into, which uh, people might remember a couple of years ago, we were talking about a lot of these things that were boiling right there on the surface. Obviously, that has been uh, you know, taken off the, the front burner because of the COVID nonsense, but I think it's coming back with a vengeance. And Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Taiwan, all of these places erupting in different ways and very interesting situations. And interesting does not necessarily mean good. So I will be writing more about this and the implications of what's going on, not just in Kazakhstan, but geopolitically generally in my newsletter this weekend. But I'll leave it with this. AsiaTimes.com, under the very weirdly unassuming title, Kazakhstan Becomes Toxic Graveyard for U.S. Diplomacy, has a very interesting article that starts by saying the Kazakh Ministry of Health has issued an innocuous disclaimer denying social media reports about the seizure of a military biological lab near Almaty by unidentified people. According to Russia's TASS news agency, social media has speculated that specialists in chemical protection suits were working near the lab as a leak of dangerous pathogens occurred. And it goes on to talk about this um, biological weapons lab there in Kazakhstan by funded by who? Of course, the U.S. The U.S. is working, the Pentagon specifically has been working um, with Kazakhstan on this for years. I think it's it opened in 2015, and it is specifically designed to, to handle some of the most deadly pathogens in the world as part of the U.S. Defense Threat Reduction Agency program. We're just studying it to figure out what we can do in the event that this sort of stuff gets out there, guys. We would never put something like this literally on the borders of Russia for any sort of ulterior purpose. You must be a conspiracy theory. Anyway, there's a lot of information in this article. I've mentioned it before in some of my previous work, like on the bioterror threat, but I think this is an important part of the story that may have gone under the radar for a lot of people, so I'll direct people's attention there. On any number of levels, there has been the funding of gain-of-function research on false flag terror operations. That's why, that's why they're so good and so strong. They've learned from their mistakes these last 20, let alone... 30, 40, 50 years. James, I've got a globe somewhere hidden behind me in my media mess. It is an old one where it's before the fall of the Soviet Union. So all the little countries say Kazakh SSR, Soviet Socialist Republic, Afghan SSR. And that is actually the way I learned that Stan means the people of. So it's the people of Kazakh, the people of Afghan. Again, American kids trying to figure out what's going on with the scamdemic. Also trying to figure out what's going on with, of course, deep state geopolitics. And that's why we're here for New World Next Week, episode 471. Another week, another well-timed war game simulation drill of what's already happening. When they told me there was a hijack, my first reaction was somebody started the exercise early. As we move to our second story, EU to stage large-scale cyber attack exercise on, I don't know, supply chains. 
European Union governments will launch later this week a large-scale simulation of cyber attacks against multiple member states. Participants will be confronted with attacks on their supply chains and some spillover socioeconomic effects in other member states before having to coordinate public communications and a diplomatic response, according to people familiar with the matter and documents seen by Bloomberg, which of course is no small player in the giant news world order scheme. That's why they get to look at documents. The aim of the six-week exercise, six-week exercise, starting pretty much now, is to stress test Europe's resilience, strengthen preparedness and cooperation among member states, and improve the effectiveness of a joint response. The EU simulation comes amid concerns that Russia could couple any aggressive act towards Ukraine with cyber attacks directed at the West. One of the EU documents cites the recent hack against the software company SolarWinds, which we, of course, have covered in both of our and, and together work, which, according to U.S. and U.K. intelligence assessments, was carried out by Russian intelligence and affected companies on both sides of the Atlantic. Though the EU has various tools at its disposal to counter and sanction acts of cyber aggression, it doesn't currently have a framework for effectively coordinating a joint response to a major crisis, the document says. The exercise will be structured around a gradual escalation toward a major crisis that culminates in an attack that could qualify as an armed aggression under the United Nations Charter, according to one of the documents. In order to be as realistic as possible and better prepare the block for a real-world attack, it will be modeled on incidents that have taken place or could occur in the near future. The simulation, which is being proposed by the French presidency of the European Union, is expected to begin this month and conclude during a meeting of the bloc's foreign ministers at the end of next month. And of course, the French spokesperson didn't immediately respond to a request for comment to Bloomberg. Sidebar about SolarWinds. US-UK reveal code flaws abused by SolarWinds hackers and isn't it interesting, James, we've talked about this a whole lot now, the companies and corporations and organizations involved in, oh my gosh, we got hacked, just happen to constantly be partners of this entire what, build back better world economic forum. It's all of it. James, is this real world or exercise? Yeah, good question. Hey, let me check my boogeyman be afraid bingo card. Let's see, Russia... Cyber attacks. Oh my god, the supply chain. Yeah, bingo! Yay, we win! Yeah, this one hits all of the uh, different categories, doesn't it? So it's a, it's just an, a, a good way of encapsulating a lot of the different fear campaigns that are going on at the moment, geopolitically and otherwise. And once again, exactly as I was referring to in my uh, New World Next Year 2022 prediction, uh, look, at, they're trying to tie the cyber attacks into the supply chain crisis. They're trying to weld that into place. I don't know. I think there's something going on there. But at any rate, yes, another drill, another exercise. And we've talked about them before. We talked about the uh, the cyber polygon with the World Economic Forum last year, and we're, we're talking about this one. And it, like like the terror drills, they can have thousands of them, millions. They can have terror drills every day until the one that they flip live. And who will ever be able to predict exactly which one it is? So this is not some sort of prediction. This is it, guys. But it does, again, portend where things are going. And one aspect of this that I don't want to sl uh, let slip under the radar that I think is interesting is that this is talking specifically about a European integrated approach to cybersecurity against the dastardly Russians, right? 
as opposed to some sort of NATO architecture or something under UN or something, or, or individual nation states having their own cybersecurity infrastructure or something. No, this is a European integrated operation, which is clearly the, the general thrust and direction of so much of this right now is regionalization, including even in that Kazakhstan story. That was another aspect of that we didn't even mention is the Eurasian Economic Union, which was actually modeled after the European Union and was really spearheaded by Nazarbayev. And, uh, you know, what's what's going on with regard to that and destabilization of the EEU? Well, here we have the EU responding to Russian threats. And what's what's always the answer to this? It's always more consolidation of control in the fewer, fewer hands. Let's put more power in Brussels and these foreign ministers will get together and, and decide everything for the entire continent of Europe. And any attack... Any attack, whatever that amounts to, anywhere in Europe is an attack against all of Europe, right? And and we can tell you it's from Russia. How? How can we assure you of this? Well, we you don't have access to the servers, you don't know, but we do, and we tell you. It was Russia, I tell you. And they're talking about invoking uh, United Nations charter uh, stipulations about non-aggression or uh, sorry, acts of aggression, armed aggression, and this would count as an act of armed aggression. It when the Russians do this, and we're telling you they're going to do it, it's an act of armed aggression that we will be able to respond to militarily. Right? They're already talking about this. It's a it's a crazy story. The more you sort of sc- scrape under the surface, because like so many other things, they're putting it out on the table ahead of time to set all of the pieces in place and make sure it's part of the public conversation and make sure, hey, we told you all of this before it happened, and now it happened. So, uh, again, I think this is right in line with what I was saying at the end of last year. Well, it's odd, so much of of what we know about it comes from Bloomberg. It comes from one very well-connected news organization that just happens to be a super billionaire. Speaking of super billionaires, James, you know, I I thought about covering for my segment on this New World Next Week, episode 471, I thought about covering the Taylor Swift copyright lawsuit, which, of course, the industry is worrying, could make U.S. copyright law look absurd. That hasn't actually happened yet. Maybe we'll hit it when and actually if the case actually goes forward. But rest assured, folks, that, of course, James Corbett has been apprised of the Taylor Swift copyright situation. So we'll we'll move to my better story three for this new world next week. Again, following up on something we've talked about pretty recently, payment apps will now have to report transactions to the IRS. President Brandon's IRS just all revved up. So, so empowered. Cracking down on payments made through third-party apps requiring platforms like Venmo and their parent corporation, PayPal, and Cash App to report transactions if they exceed 600 bucks in one year. The new reporting requirement will ensure that small businesses continue to get screwed over by, of course, the latest left-right administration. But, oh, wait, sorry. We'll ensure that small businesses that receive payments through those apps are paying their fair share in thefts. Beginning January 1st, 2022, third-party payment processors were required to report such transactions. Though businesses were always required to self-report such incomes to the IRS, many often didn't keep record of their smaller transactions. The payment apps were previously required to send users 1099k forms if their gross income exceeded $20,000 or they had more than 200 transactions per year. 
The new tax law was part of the March 2021 American Rescue Plan, which passed with no Republican votes. The new rule is only for goods and services transactions, not personal, such as paying a roommate for rent or reimbursing a friend. It also includes anyone selling a personal item at a loss, such as a couch you bought for 700 bucks that you sell for only 650. The cash apps will now be required to send the 1099K form to businesses with electronic transactions greater than 600 bucks. The new change will apply for the 2022 tax season. For the 2022 tax year, you should consider the amount shown on your 1099K when calculating gross receipts for your income tax return. The IRS will be able to cross-reference both our report and yours, PayPalm warned on their website. The new tax rule is separate from the proposed IRS reporting requirement that originally would have handed over transaction data on accounts with more than $600 aggregate inflow and outflow. That's what we talked about on a recent New World Next Week. That proposal, originally part of Brandon's Build Back Better plan, was raised to a $10,000 threshold after much pushback and has not yet been acted upon by Congress critters. This proposal regardless of which fake-ass party you're a part of, amounts to the branded administration peering into Americans' everyday purchases. Oh my gosh, I wonder if that'll continue on to the next criminal administration. These rules passed now couldn't possibly be handed off to the guys we don't like. Payment apps reporting to the IRS, a handy-dandy little video I will include in the links that actually does kind of break it down. The breakdown. Third-party payment apps that whole thing went through as part of the American Rescue Plan back in 2021. Or was it 2020? Now the banks, as part of Build Back Better, more popularly known, of course, as Bear Shelves Brandon. In other shocking news, James, PayPal may launch their own fiat-backed stablecoin called PayPal Coin. And we didn't really talk about it very much. We've made passing references to the overarching scamdemic, but that's the thing, man. I don't feel like we would be talking about these changes if we weren't going through the scamdemic these last two years. James, my nose is kind of runny. We should change the international monetary system and play around with our DNA. I mean, that's really the only natural response, right? <laughs> of course. But don't worry. Don't worry, uh, James. We're going to build back better with a new bread and woods. And we're laying the infrastructure for it here, aren't we? Uh, just absolute insanity, isn't it? And of course, as always, passed under the cover of the state of emergency with regards to this new scamdemic. Yeah, absolute insanity that has obviously nothing to do with what's going on with anybody's health, except for the jeopardy that this is going to place a lot of people in for daring to transact with other human beings. How dare you do that? Um, just a crazy story, and it goes, of course, into the heart of what I think is the even wider, I mean, this is obviously a huge story, but for non-Americans in the universe, uh, the, this ties into that wider story that was developing. Do you, does anyone remember just a, a few weeks ago, they, oh, by the way, started laying the groundwork for the international taxation infrastructure, the global tax? Does, does anyone know there was a global tax agreement that was uh, worked out in the past few weeks? I mean, this stuff is happening fast and furious. And unfortunately, again, like so many other incredibly important developments happening largely under the radar. So thank you for bringing this to our attention. And uh, I mean, what can you say? This is 
all part and parcel of the new economy that we are being steeped into bit by bit and that I wrote about a couple of times in the past uh, month, I believe. Um, People can check out my recent newsletter editorials on the new economy. Welcome to the new economy. And this is what the new economy um, looks like. So unfortunately, here we are. Um, And as that video explainer that you're linking up notes, I think quite correctly, oh, by the way, you know, of course, the IRS just assumes that all taxation uh, sorry, all income is taxable. You have to prove to them that it wasn't. No, 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 no. I was. This was a gift to my friend. No, this was a. I was ordering pizza. Or whatever. No, you have to prove to them. So it is guilty until proven innocent under the taxation system, which is fraudulent top to bottom, as I'm sure the more clued-in listeners know. But there you go. This is this is the uh, the regime they're trying to st- steep in, and as always, being passed under the cover of emergency legislation. Every single time. And here in the States, whether it's a president with a D or an R after their name, as we have seen since, oh, I don't know, September 11, 2001, they will continue to re-sign the state of emergency we are constantly living under. And as we've talked about, the state of emergency is great. It's the magic wand. It's the magic words that say all your laws and all the lip service bullcrap we always talk about mean nothing now. We throw it all away because there's a scary thing that's happening. You can trust us. Good Googler Mooglers. James, uh, can we get to some some good news at the end of this episode? Well, because, of course, the bad news is, is, of course, the things with PayPal and the payment apps are directly going to affect, oh, I don't know, small international media communications outlets such as ourselves. Gosh, we might have to start relying on post office box and precious metals, I suppose. As we have had the media monarchy post office box going now, actually, for the last couple of years for folks who don't do the digital money thing and want to support me or Corbett or both of us. We've got the P.O. box always listed down in the show notes. But as we have launched a few months back, NewWorldNextWeek.com. It's your New World Next Week store. All three DVDs. Ah, I didn't go get them. This is where I hold up all three (laughs) DVDs. But of course, they're out in the they're out in the shipping room out, out in the front. All three DVDs that we have put on the New World Next Week store so far are all back in stock. 9-11 Trillions, 9-11 War Games, Who is Bill Gates, and of course, How and Why Big Oil Conquered the World. With a fourth DVD in the works as we speak. James, I got your email about that. Good deal. I'll pass that on. Of course, my Danny Casolaro Octopus Radio Play is digital, so that is always in stock. And as folks have been waiting the last 20 plus minutes to find out if (laughs) they can get a corporate report shirt that I am wearing. Yeah, buddy, you can. Short sleeved organic cotton shirt made and printed in the USA using non-toxic inks in unisex sizes. These are going on sale pretty much uh, as we speak, James, or rather as folks will hear us speak in a little bit. Indeed. And if you can still hear my voice, I'll just display the... uh... The shirt, the Media Monarchy version of the shirt a little bit better, but people should already be familiar. You did have a Media Monarchy shirt last year available for briefly, but uh, this year uh, we've got some new ones in stock, right? We do. And speaking of briefly, these these corporate report, this these first run of shirts, they might be briefly as well. But rest assured, the, the big order is coming in after those and we will get more Media Monarchy shirts as well. And I'll get a better picture. No, the Media Monarchy shirts are not long-sleeved. The funny alien picture I have maybe makes them look like they're long sleeves, but they are short sleeves. They are organic. They are made in America. And James, this are the sort of things that, you know, that we've talked about for years. I don't want my name and logo on a bunch of made-in-China poison garbage. 
That's why we're taking control of our merch and putting things out on things that we're not embarrassed to put to literally put our name on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. So it's at yeah. newworldnextweek.com. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So people can find out more details about that. I'll have more to say on that in the near future. In the meantime, people should be tuning into MediaMonarchy.com every day for your live stream broadcast. And uh, people who don't know about that, go to MediaMonarchy.com. Check it out. James, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Take care.